This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. It's a miracle this got off the ground in the first place. Scott Owen. Adam, that's Park Dupree. Put some respect on the home of Queensland football. And Adam Pace. Look, I think of what other choice do you have. Starting now. Well, hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Brisbane Football Review. It is James and Scott and we're running a little bit light on this Wednesday afternoon as Adam is currently sailing the high seas and I hope not trying to stage a hostile takeover of Tasmania. It's just the two of us. Scott, you think we can handle it? I think we can. He did stage a hostile takeover of the Morton Bay Ridge. I don't rule out anything for what he's trying to do down there in Tasmania this week, but holidays in season, that's highly unprofessional if you ask me. Another holiday in season as well, because I'm pretty sure I remember him chiming in from uh, Italy a while ago as well. Yes, we might have to put him on the transfer list as well. <laughs> well, I think if, uh, if we're seeking value, those uh, European podcasts will pay a lot more than the Tasmanian ones. I would like to think that the, the Italian, particularly the Milan one, might be highly highly lucrative for us. Indeed, and uh, maybe you can go and check out that Mariner's jersey in Olivier Giroud's uh, collection as well. Maybe, possibly. It's a great addition to his jersey collection. I'm sure it's one he'll treasure. I'm sure that's getting uh, cent- central placement right above the fireplace in his mansion, or at least one of his mansions. Anyway, this is the Brisbane Football Review. We've got a lot to cover over the next little while. We've got the men's and women's matches from the weekend for the Brisbane Raw, as well as... Uh, we promised we'd talk about the uh, A-League fixturing debate, so we'll probably get onto that as well, because we did put out the video asking for, well, preferences and suggestions and whatnot last night on our socials, so we'll see what can come of that. But let's get started with the A-League women, because they played first chronologically, if I'm not mistaken, Scott. They did, they were Saturday afternoon down in not-so-sunny Tasmania, so Adam took the weather with him as well. Yep, the uh, tropical Tasmania, where I think it maxed out at about 18 degrees, and, uh, well, it was a bit of a cooling-off for the Roar as they failed to ice the league leaders, Western United, as the competition's newer side came away with a 2-0 victory, and, well, look, I think we were all hopeful that something was going to break the Roar's way, but... In the end, the better team just seemed like they managed to come away with all three points, Scott. They did. They were the better side, West United. You know. The first half was relatively even, James. The Raw had a couple of half chances, so did Weston. But the goal right on half-time, I think it was in the second minute of stoppage time in the first half, that gave Weston the lead. It was a bit of a sloppy one to concede. And at that point in the second half, Weston United were quite comfortable from then on. And they went went on with the game quite comfortably. And the Raw just never really, in the second half, looked likely that they were going to get back into it. The second goal was obviously game over. And... It was a tough one down there against Western United. A, a tough one because Western United lost the week before to Western Sydney. And as the league leaders, we would, ex- we would expect it to bounce back. And they certainly did in Jess McDonald's final game there. Spiritual leader heading back to the States. And they sent her out a winner. That was clearly a big goal of theirs. And they did it quite nicely in the end. Yeah, and I don't think it was necessarily a lack of motivation for the Raw. But I think the motivation was much stronger for Western United because they were farewelling uh, Jess McDonald's as well, but it wasn't all doom and gloom, I think we've got to say, India Page Riley uh, providing a few more bright sparks as well, and overall I thought it was like, it was another building block, you know, the the results haven't quite been there lately, but they are, they do feel like they're building towards something. It does, another hour into the legs of India Page Riley, who also played midweek, 
for the New Zealand national team against Team USA. So it was maybe potentially that might have been why she only played an hour on the weekend for the Royal given she had that travel midweek. But another good 60 minutes into her legs as she gets integrated into the squad. And there certainly is some positives in there. It's just it's just not quite clicking this year, particularly on the road, James, where the form is not as strong as it was last year. Last year it was the home form that was a trouble for the Royal and the away form was okay. This year it's kind of flipped for, for Gareth's side. So maybe he needs to try and channel last year a little bit on the road. Yeah, it's not like you can even just uh, send them to a hotel the night before a home game if the uh, form was reversed, can you? No, not quite. But you can't exactly stay home on the day before an away game. <laughs> We're uh, not from Sydney, we don't get that luxury. I was, I was going to say, we haven't got border closures to navigate around anymore, thankfully. So, silver linings, I, I guess. But, yeah, it, it is a bit of a reminder that this is a side that probably is a tier below the truly top teams in the league, but even even so, 2-0, it does feel like last year the, that is a game they would have lost by more. Yeah, that's highly, it's highly possible they would have. I mean, it's all last year against the top team in Adelaide, they got beaten by much more than that, but it just seems like they're maybe one or two players away from being a top side in the competition. They've certainly got a lot of high, some high-end talent, James, including a couple of Matildas, but Maybe just maybe they need to look at the international market again, just for a couple of different spaces. I'm thinking of players a few years ago having players like a, a Celeste Beret or a or a Carson Pickett in the side. Just a little bit of extra quality to add in from the visa players that maybe this squad doesn't quite have in comparison to maybe make the difference. Because they're not you're right, they're not they're not far away. And they are playing some really good stuff and I'm we'll talk about their game at the weekend later on, but in terms of this weekend coming later on, but they're just maybe a player or two away from being a side that can really challenge the silverware in this league. Yeah, for sure. And I'm actually just uh, looking up as well. I saw this interesting uh, stat from uh, Football Reference on Twitter, at FBREF, and I think anyone who's listened to the 200-odd episodes of this show will know that the advanced stats, not always we're not always the biggest fans of that, especially, uh, you know, with things like XG, where they can tell part of the story, but not all of the story. It is you need the context for all those things, don't you? Yeah, but just in a vacuum, it is kind of interesting that they've got their XG difference leaders. So I'm guessing, and feel free to correct me if I'm uh, not quite on top of it with this, but the XG difference is basically how many goals you're expected to score versus how many you're expected to concede. And the raw are at the bottom of the table at the moment, minus 7.5. So it shows that the chances just aren't quite there yet, and they are sort of still trying to get that attack clicking, and hopefully more minutes in the legs of uh, India Page Riley will do that. And we know they've got proven goal scorers up there with her as well, with Connors and Crummer. But they just feel like the attack hasn't quite clicked yet. It hasn't, but India Page has made a massive difference in the two, basically 60-minute patches that she's played now. It's made a massive difference in the... In the home game last weekend, she was the best player for an hour in that front third. And then in this game again, she was the, the, the brightest spark. And to have that pl- have a combination, some sort of pace on one side, which Shay Connors has brought all year. Now they've got that on both sides of, of um, Larissa Cummer. It does make them less predictable, James, in terms of if they want to use a quick outlet, it used to have to basically be Shay Connors the whole time. Now they've got two options to do that. So they are less predictable. It's just going to take a little bit of time to gel in the front third. It might be a problem across the board for the whole club at the moment, actually. Yeah, well, that is something that we'll have to keep an eye on as well. But I suppose the silver lining as well is that midfield 
it is really, really strong. And the fact that they've now been able to drop a much improved Holly Palmer into that group, it does seem like it has strengthened it quite significantly as well. It does. And she's got two really good experienced players there alongside us here. The captain in Ishinori and the vastly experienced Trina Gorian. It's bringing out the best of Holly Palmer as well, allowing her to do what she does best on the field. James not trying to do too much playing with lesser players if you like. She's got two really good players around her. It's allowing her game to really grow. She's been a part of the Raw for a, a while now, but this is by far her best season at the moment, Holly Palmer, having a, a really good season in the middle of midfield. For sure, and I'm sure I've made this joke before, but Adam's not here, so I need to fill out another 15 or 20 seconds with this. But I will just say, whatever that four-week uh, break Katrina Gorey had at the start of the season, like whatever that involved, it's clearly working for her because... She does look so much more sprightly after having a few weeks to mentally and physically recharge. And hopefully she can keep that form going right through the end of July and into August. That would be ideal. All right, now, I did mention that uh, we are missing an Adam this week, so that means, well, I'm actually starting to uh, run out of discussion points for this game. So what do you say we move on to the 3-2-1, Scott? I've got one more we can do it just quickly. Do Please do. North Hobart over, what do you make of it in terms of a venue? In terms, do you think it could be a potential A-League venue going forward. Obviously, we know the league's got other priorities, but it seemed like a nice little venue. It's a little bit of work done around the place. could be quite a nice boutique venue for the A-League. It, it's a starting point. I still want to see games being played in rectangular stadiums, but if you were to you know, craft a media release tomorrow saying Tasmania FC is going to be playing out of North Hobart Oval for the next two years, I'd be okay with it. But it would be nice to see them find a way to get a purpose-built venue for the rectangular codes. Yeah, I think they're building one down there, but I don't think it's going to be rectangular, unfortunately. Although I did see something about it possibly being um, configurable like um, Docklands used to be. Well, that would be ideal. That would be ideal. Yeah, because it... Yeah, well, anyway. We could do the expansion debate for quite a while, but... No, I just want to get your thoughts on North Hobart Oval. I think it worked, and it looked good for the men's and the women's game as well, and... You know, we'll uh, touch on this a little bit later, but if you are thinking about uh, possibly playing mid-afternoon kickoffs in the middle of January, I suppose Tasmania is one of those places you might actually be able to get away with it. It'd be much more palatable than playing at um, 6 p.m. when it's even colder. That's for sure. <laughs> Definitely. All right, three, I think two, one. Tasmania ones. is the England or Southern Hemisphere, isn't it? There's no summer down there. I'm just going to write that quote down for the caption and uh, give us your three, two, ones. Okay, well, there's your, there's your headline for the show, but are three points for, for Katrina Gori, two for Aisha Nori, and one for Jamila Rankin. Fair enough. All right. We're going to have to get Adam to do uh, both votes next week as well as punishment for uh, bailing on us today. That seems fair. Yeah, I think so. All right. Now, on to Saturday night, and the men uh, held Melbourne City to a scoreless draw in a, in a vacuum. I felt like that was a really, really good point against the side that has been the runaway league leaders. Absolutely. There's, there's frustrating draws, and the Raw have had a fair share of theirs this, this year, James. This is not a frustrating draw. This was a really good performance, wasn't it? To keep Melbourne City to a nil-all draw, given the, the firepower that they possess, we know the, the the plethora of socceroos they have in the front third, and they've all been having great seasons. To keep them scoreless and almost, not chanceless, but keep their chances to a minimum was a, a really, really good effort. And then the other way... By the end of the game in the second half, when they made the substitutes, James, the Raw looked really, really good by the end of it. And they, if they had have gotten a late winner, as we've seen them do many times in the past, it wouldn't have been undeserved. They would have been well worth the three points if they had got them. And 
the interesting thing is they were much more on the front foot in this game than the first time they played Melbourne City. Think back to that first game, James. They sat back and they really let Melbourne City dictate the game in the first half. Almost showed them too much respect. This game, they were in their faces on the front foot, causing pressure in the defensive third for Melbourne City. And I don't know if Melbourne City had an off day or they didn't expect it, but they didn't deal with it well. And the Raw were really good value in that game. Yeah, I think... Okay, Melbourne City, probably not at their peak. Maybe they've fallen into a little bit of a mid-season malaise. But even so, that's still a side that, in a malaise, should be able to take care of business against just about every opponent in the A-League. And the Raw looked like they were not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but thanks to a couple of really good saves from Jordan Holmes, I I thought they were able to match it with Melbourne City on the night. And again, you know, you can talk about the chances both ways. I feel like, yeah, the Raw created their chances as well, but uh, Holmes had a great save on McLaren. Glover denied, I want to say, Armiento. Yes. And they did it all without uh, Nikola Miliuznic, which is, is another positive sign. Also, no chest loft either, and given the lack of attacking players, that was really significant. We'll talk about some of the in- one inclusion in a minute who came in, but... The fact they were able to do that without the attacking players they've got on display to create those openings, I thought that was really impressive. And it does illustrate that if they, if and when they do get the attacking players in, maybe they can do something over the back end of the season. Now, look, Melbourne City, next time they're all play them down in Melbourne, that would be a very different proposition. But against most sides in the league on Saturday night, that would have been three points, even without the attacking players being there. So there's a lot you can take out of that that's a positive. Yeah, for sure. And, well, we have sort of teased it but that was an undermanned raw squad as well where you consider the departures the absences of Mila Uznich and Lofthouse it really was a bare bones squad and I think we saw that by the fact that uh, Kanadi the new signing which was announced on Friday he was a break glass in case of emergency on the bench his clearance wouldn't have come that long uh, before the final squads had to be uh, input for the match but also when you consider the fact that they had Ion Marjok who was a, also a new signing which I found out about when I showed up to the stadium to do the pre-game stuff with Hinksy it really was a case of let's just, we've got to call on whoever's available pretty much You can add Riku Denzaki to that who for all intents and purposes has, has probably moved on from the Raw speculated heavily he's going to Scotland but we don't know about that but he certainly wasn't there at the weekend so he's probably moved on but you're right all those players not being there they didn't honestly didn't miss them because they would have made a big difference but the players they had in the front third were really impressive and you're as your Ayon Majok when he came on he was a real handful wasn't he I mean had no idea what to expect from him as a as a young player coming and we know he's coming out of Adelaide City and we've seen some of the exciting young talent coming out of that state recently if if Ayon Majok can be as good as that, then the Raw have got themselves a real real fine there. In the first 20 minutes we saw of him, he did look really lively, didn't he? So it looks like they've found somebody here who can add something in the front third off the bench that maybe they've been lacking all season long. As having that player who can stretch a team stretch a team with pace and skill off the bench in that final 20 minutes. I haven't really had that player. Cyrus Demi was in that role, but he wasn't really delivering that to the same level. So as a first up, first up hit out, it was a, it was a really... Really positive start. Player 201, by the way, for the Brisbane Raw. There we go. Um, yeah, Marshak, I thought he offered quite a lot um, off the bench as well. He was busy. 
he was active and the thing I didn't realise in part because you know when he played for Western United I wasn't necessarily across his uh, skill set but he's only You didn't catch 20. that one game he played? No weirdly enough <laughs> uh, but yeah he was he's only 20 so there is still quite a lot of development work to be done with him and you know anyone that knows the rules backroom staff will know the connection he would have had uh, with Ante Kovacevic the GM of football it's pretty clear that Kovacevic rates him quite highly and that's why he's been brought in to not only fill the squad out now but probably is a bit more of a developmental project to fill the uh, whole of Cyrus Demi absolutely and we've seen in the past it's not uncommon for for young players to get a chance at one A-league club for it not to work out to go away and then come back at a second club and really flourish there's a a long list of players you can look at who've done that including some of which have now moved to clubs overseas around around Europe so it's it's a, it's a path that a lot of young players have to go through isn't it where they get their first opportunity it doesn't quite work out for them for whatever reason it is they go away to either the MPL or another A-league club straight away and then they it starts to click for them and again for, again it's hard to gauge off 20 minutes because it's only one one example but first up it does look like he's going to do that here in Brisbane we also should mention Henry Hoare was every bit as influential as Ayon Majok when he came off the bench. I think they came on at the same time from memory, and the pair of them completely changed the game for the Raw. Looked a lot more threatening after that point in the match. So those two players coming off the bench made a massive impact. They definitely did, but forgive the doom and gloom, but it was still a scoreless draw. And that's where I just keep coming back to. It's like getting these points here and there are all well and good, and they'll probably come in handy over the coming uh, weeks. But at some point, they need to play like that and find a way to win. Or, hell, I don't care if they, you know, go full uh, uh, Chelsea at Anfield in the 2012-13 title race or 13-14 or whatever it was, when they just go complete, like, just screw around, time-wasting and just hit on the counter and try and win with, like, 20% possession or whatever. Who's our Denver Bar in that situation? Yeah, I... <laughs> well, take take your pick from the squad, but uh, as, long, as long as someone else has a uh, Stevie Gerrard. That'd be wonderful. Oh, that's what's at the start, though. There's, there's draws that are frustrating. Then there's ones you can take a lot of positives from. I think this is one, given the context of it playing against the league leaders, keeping them to a clean sheet, and looking positive for large parts of the game. This is one of the the draws you look at and think this is actually a positive result. There's a whole bunch in the earlier third of the season you look at and think if they just won that game, things could be a little bit different. No, hopefully, in a couple of months' time, we're not looking back on this season and think, gee, if they just won one or two of those games earlier in the season, it could have been different. Hopefully, we're not looking at that, but I don't think this will be the result we look back on and say, that's why the Raw didn't achieve what they were hoping to. Well, I will say as well, um, just on that, I feel like we're going to look back and say, geez, you know, to turn two of those draws into wins and what if. But what I'm hoping is we're going to say, turn two of those draws into wins and they'd be a top four side instead of a top six side, rather than, oh, they just, made the fi- they just missed the finals and if you turn two of those draws into uh, wins, they would have made it. Yeah. But, again, like, it does feel like overall this is... I, I really hate to say this as a line, but it does feel like the start of another squad rebuild. I think Kanadi, you know, he's here on basically a six-month audition. Marjok is probably here for 
the long haul. I think wouldn't be surprised if we wind up seeing him uh, going forward as well. But it does. I'd be surprised like... to see him in the MPL a bit as well, actually. Once yeah. the full squad rounds out, he sees a bit of time in that competition as well. But overall, it does feel like we're going to wind up with probably a few. Like we're going to be seeing them try to just get through this end of the season in as good a shape as possible. And I can kind of see maybe a few, a bit of a retooling um, as Kovacvic starts to implement his stamp on this squad. Well, he hasn't had his chance to do that yet, has he? He arrived very late in the off-season this year when the recruitment was pretty much complete. So this is really his first opportunity to make some moves in the transfer market to help try and reshape the squad alongside Warren Moon as well. Won't just be the won't just be Arthur McIntyre. It'll be whoever Warren Moon or whoever the head coaches are going forward who makes those decisions. So it'll be. I mean, it's first opportunity to do it, and we'll see, because Marcel Canardi certainly comes with a, a solid pedigree, doesn't he? Yeah, for, yeah, exactly. I think, like, in terms of the type of player uh, they've been, uh, they're bringing in, he's exactly what I would have been uh, targeting as well. That versatile attacker, he can play, you know, in that playmaking role, out wide, left or right. It's basically what I've been asking for. You know, the resume... Who knows? I think we've all learned not to judge a player by their previous experience or certain managers as well. Uh, thinking of someone who's just left uh, a Sydney-based club, but overall, you've just got you, you've got a, a bit to work with there. And yeah, Canardi, I think he offers that sort of playmaking thing where you know he's not necessarily the goal scorer, but I think he's going to create opportunities for a goal scorer. Yeah, pre- former Premier League players coming in and then leaving mid-season. Who would have thought, James? Never seen that. After taking a tantrum. Never seen that before. But with Canardi, you mentioned the pedigree he brings. I like it, actually, because he's, play- he's, he's at a good age. He's played in some decent leagues around Europe. I mean, you look at... I mean, the Croatian League, it's not the highest level of league. But look at the players who've come to this country from that part of the world, James. To, who've not necessarily just Croatia, but that part of the world. Who've come to this country in the A-League and the old NSL and really excelled in the in the domestic league here. There's a long list of players who've done that, so it's a, certainly a path that's worked quite well in the past. So that's that's really all you can do is you look to what's worked in the past and try to replicate it, and that's certainly something that has worked, and hopefully Marcel's the latest addition to that list of success stories. Yeah, that would that would be ideal. Um, you mentioned Warren Moon before. What do you say? Uh, now it's a full press conference we've got from him? No, it's about a couple of minutes of the press conference. Talking about the style of play he's looking to implement going forward with the new saying so it's a bit of an interesting grab this week oh can't wait to hear it let's uh let's go to that grab right now from the press conference Warren you through everything out the dead saying I was really happy with the side performance there yeah I, look I think I'm happy with the performance I thought we were really good tonight I thought we were the better team and um created plenty of openings and chances and uh you know we've got to keep working hard at that because look I, I, I am happy but we need to um really start capitalising on moments, opportunities that we create a lot of times in most games and I think um, that's the one thing I think we need to improve on. I think uh, happy with the performance tonight against you know, arguably the best best team in the land. So um, yeah, we'll take it, we'll move on, we'll, we'll get real positives from that game. Do you think that might improve as you get more more familiarity with the new attacking players you have brought in and any that may may follow? Yeah, I hope so. I think um, I think the prerequisite for the players we brought in or, or bring, going to bring in is a profile of players that allow us to be more aggressive and on the front foot. I think that's probably why we've played a certain style of football in the first part of the season. But um, you know, I think the club and myself really want to bring in 
a lot more speed and mobility so we can play a little little bit more on the front foot so tonight was a good example of that and I was really pleased with the the, um, the performance and uh, I thought uh, even um, the substitutions came on that had a good impact. Um, defensively in round two was a problem for you. A clean sheet tonight, you must be really happy with the way you fixed those issues from the first mini against City this year. Yeah, look, I think they're a fantastic team and, you know, there's just attacking quality everywhere and I think we, apart from a couple of scary moments, one at the end where, you know, we probably could have dealt with that a lot better, they, they didn't really create too much. So. Um, I was really pleased with our structure tonight defensively and how we applied ourselves and we limited what was a really good team to um, only a few chances. What about uh, Jan Mayok? Uh, he brought some real spark to, to you um, and came on uh, in his debut for the club. Can you tell us a bit about him because he looks an exciting prospect for you. Yeah, I think that's, you know, he's, he's, he's not been here long. We've we had a look at him this week and uh, liked what we saw and the clubs um, you know signed him up and we threw him into the mix we you know maybe it might not have happened that way but you know football is about taking opportunity and we, we had some illness and some sick uh, some, some injuries uh, with some departures and it, it, timing's everything so he finds his way onto an A-League bench and comes on and I thought he was uh, quite exciting and that was Warren Moon after the game and it was a weird feeling overall um, just looking at the plays there was some that w- did look quite relieved that they'd taken a point off Melbourne City, but you could tell that, I don't want to say the frustration is building, but the awareness of where they are right now has sunk in going like, they need to stop settling for draws. Yeah, I think it's very clear that they're not settling for draws, are they? In terms yeah. of the fact that they want more, they're not just happy to go and get a draw. It's the frustration, the fact that they're not winning enough games is certainly coming through. And like we said, there's some good draws, there's some bad ones. This is probably a better one, but they've had far too many draws this season, haven't they? In terms of the style of play, so for Warren Moon, they're wanting to be more proactive on the front foot. We did see signs of that, didn't we? And I think that's the sort of football we all want to see. Haven't seen enough of it this year, but hopefully we're going to see more of that going forward in the next few weeks. Well, look, that proactive football is exactly what I've been wanting to see because I just think back, the last time I saw them really put it together like that would have, and again, apologies for bringing this group of games up again, but I think back to early 2021, they had the Saturday night game against Adelaide, followed by the afternoon clash with the victory, where they were just all out attack. It was just full pressure, just go for it, go for it, go for it. And since then, it just... I don't know if it's because, you know, uh, Moon feels like he just hasn't quite been able to get the combinations down, or if it's a case of just playing in southeast Queensland, the conditions just aren't conducive to that style of play. It just feels like that is what Moon wants to get out of his side, that aggressive, attacking, like, always-on-the-front-foot style of play, but they just don't necessarily have the capacity to do it for whatever reason. And the two players they brought in last week are two players you can certainly see fitting, fitting that mould, can't you? We saw it from Ion Majok, but he certainly fits that mould. And it sounds like from more reports, Marcel Canardi is also in that mould. It's what they're looking for. So I think the conditions, yes, it's tough to play that way in here in South East Queensland, but it's easy to play with the ball and without the ball as well. And if you're not doing as much running with it, running because you've got the ball, you can conserve a bit more energy. So I think that's also something that was really successful for the Raw in the past, the teams that were... At the top of the league, they were the teams that were the highest possession, like percentage of teams. You think back to the Ange Potsakoglu teams, even the Mike Mulvey, and also the very early John Aloisi teams. They were 
high possession teams. I think that at the moment the Raw maybe give away a little bit too much after allowing the opposition to have it. So I think that might be something they could also change. That probably also comes into the more proactive style of football as well. So it's certainly a change that they're looking to make and hopefully they can get back to that in the next few weeks. Yes, well, they've got a few uh, interesting games coming up as well. Uh, but we'll wrap up this Melbourne City recap with the 3-2-1 player votes. And, well, you went for the women. I guess I'll go for the men. Uh, Tom Aldred, three points. Two points for Scott Neville. One point Jordan Holmes. They're leading with defence at the moment. And, uh, yeah, I think it's 10 goals conceded now from uh, 13 matches on the season, which is, look, you can pass it any way you want. That is a remarkable record. They're on track to be one of the best defensive teams in the history of the A-League, and given that they're probably, fair to say, James, they're probably not going to win the Premier's plate. That's a quite remarkable achievement, isn't it, to concede so few goals over this half of the season. And it is a fantastic defence, and you mentioned those players there. It's certainly worth their 3 2 ones. And a couple of milestones before we wrap up. The 100th game for Jay O'Shea over the weekend, so congratulations to Jay. And also, Jack Hingett made his 250th appearance for the Brisbane Raw on... Um, Saturday night. That's a fail on my behalf for not realising that last week. Looking through the stats, I realised it after the fact, so apologies to Jack on that one, but congratulations on 250 games for the Brisbane Roar. Just the great Matt McKay ahead of him now, 39 games ahead. So, closing in on that all-time leaderboard is Jack Ingot. There we go. Um, with the uh, defensive records as well, the Raw, 10 goals conceded. The Wanderers, 10 goals conceded. Both have played 13 games. The Wanderers have scored 14 goals, Brisbane have scored 10, and the Wanderers are four points better off, and are currently five points ahead of the Raw on the A-League ladder. It's amazing what a couple of goals can do, isn't it? Because it's only a handful of goals that you mentioned, but the difference between both those two sides at the moment on the table is is probably literally down to those four goals and the points that those have picked up for them. Yeah. So there well, you I can tell you that the best defence ever in the A-League was Sydney in 2016-17 with 12 goals conceded over 27 games. So the Raw probably won't quite equal that, but they'll certainly be on track for one of the best defensive records. Well, maybe, for, the... ne- maybe for next week you'll have to tell us uh, what the best defensive team in Raw history is for the A-League. I might, I might look back on that over the next seven days. Good, because I want to keep moving because last week we ran out of time for it. Um, this week I do want to get to it. And uh, we did talk about um, we did talk about the debate over scheduling with the A League at the moment, and this is a problem that has impacted the men's and women's games as well. So we're not specifically talking about um, one one uh, league over the other, but it's it is the main issue with playing uh, the A League as a summer competition where you wanted to line up with the European League so that you can have that full Saturday of action, but it also means that to fit every game into the weekend and give it some sort of standalone time slot, you're stuck with uh, mid-afternoon matches being played in oppressive conditions. They really have to make a decision, don't they, in terms of they want to be a league that prioritises the in-game, in-ground experience, or they want to be a league that maximises... TV windows and TV viewerships. They want to be the league that maximises TV viewership, James. This is almost what they, they have to do. Is They've got to keep trying to find ways to, to fit games into different windows. That's where the whole A-League Women Dub Zone thing has come about, trying to create a special window for those matches to be to be screened and, and prioritised. So if they want to do that, that's what they have to do. But if they want the best in-game 
experience. They're going to have to have some games kicking off at the same time, aren't they? Because there's too many games kicking off in to 2 p.m. in the afternoon, particularly up here in Queensland. The heat is just... It's overbearing at times. We saw, I saw Marco Rudan complaining last week about the heat down in Sydney, so it's not just up here where it's a problem. If they want the best quality of football as well, you can't kick off at 2 p.m. on a on a January afternoon. That's just not going to work for quality of football, is it? Having to have breaks every 15 minutes to keep the players hydrated. It's not, not, the, not the most conducive way to produce higher quality football. So I think they're going to have to say to the to TV broadcasters, we have to condense the windows down. We have to have more games between four and eight, four and seven thirty kickoffs in that in that window around there, because that's really when you're going to get the best time slot for fans to turn up, and also for quality of football. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Where you're going to wind up, like, I understand wanting to feature every team in a standalone window, but when you consider the fact that as of next year you're going to have six matches from the men's competition, six matches from the women's competition. There are not 12... Big pardon. There are not 12 evening or nighttime kickoff windows on offer over the course of a weekend. Unless you're you're willing to really stretch out the uh, weekend like they do in the NFL and have Thursday night right through to Monday, it just isn't going to work so at some point as well the fans are going to have to be the ones to accept that it's not all going to be about allowing them to watch every minute of every game live like the Premier League doesn't do that hell we get more access to the Premier League here in Australia than they do in England because it is designed to try and encourage uh, people to get out to the games and I've long said they need to prioritise the in-stadium experience because it is far and away the most important asset that this game has so for me it's a case of yeah if you're going to play on a Friday night you're going to have to have games kicking off you're going to have to have two games being played at once whether it's you know two men's games a men's and a women two women and a men or whatever eventually you're going to have to bite the bullet and say you're not going to be able to watch every minute of every game live and I just keep coming back I just keep coming back to that where like you I cannot imagine, like, sitting in the stands at uh, Redcliffe for a 2 p.m. kickoff. Like, oh, okay. I cannot imagine sitting in the Eastern stand for a 2 p.m. kickoff. The Western stand's fine because you're in the shade there, but it, it just makes no sense as well. And you see it at AJ Kelly Park, which it's a great venue for the A-League women as well, but it is just everyone is crowded around on that side in the shade because who would have thought... Queensland in January is hot but the other point on that as well and this is something that they need to continue despite the fact that some people seem to be incapable of uh, reading and processing you need consistency of kickoff times as well like the bottom line for me is the fact that right now at least I know that at 6.45 on a Friday night uh, 4pm and 6.45pm on a Saturday and 2pm on a Sunday, that's when we're going to have games. I just know that's when the games are going to be the ones that kick off. So you need to be able to maintain that consistency of kickoff times. It, it just, yeah. It's hard enough to get people to go to games at the, as it stands and it just 
really does frustrate me. Now, yeah, how you do that, how you yeah. communicate it, I don't know. It just, it really doesn't. It do, it doesn't. They've got to make a decision, don't they? Because six games of the men's and six of the women's next year, with the potential of expansion again, on top of that, in both competitions, which would be more games. On top of that, James, and also maybe the National Youth League returns, which is a whole extra set of games and a whole separate competition. So it's it's a whole lot of games that eventually, at some point, you can't just watch every minute of every game. And in fairness, I think, James, most people have stopped watching every minute of every game. I know when the A-League first started, started people would watch every minute of all four games, and it became five games, and then six. And people would watch every minute of all those matches. That's kind of gone away a little bit in the last few years, where people are really just watching their team and then selected other matches around the league so it's not necessarily people wanting to watch every single minute of every single game live anymore so I, I think the prerequisite of having games in unique windows so you can do that isn't there anymore so I think they can go away from it and I think they have to if they want to get back to the 2014-ish let's pick that year as an example era of when crowds were at their best they want to get back to that they've got to get games played in the right time slots and 2pm on a sun- Saturday or Sunday afternoon in the middle of summer when people would probably rather be at the beach or beside the pool or somewhere else is probably not not the ideal time slot. For me, it just comes down to consistency because like right now, everybody keeps finding reasons to not go to an A-League match. And part of the reason is they claim to never know when the games are on. Right now, I think for next season, the priority has to be Give every club, you know, two preferred kickoff times and put as many of those games in those windows as they can. Now, if that means, you know, Sydney FC prefers Saturday at 7.45 local time and Sunday at 5 o'clock, so be it. If that means Adelaide prefers Friday night and Saturday night, let them overlap. I think that's really all you can do. And... Yeah, that that to me is just the way that it's it's got to be. And for the Raw, you hope that the end of the initial deal with Morton Daly Stadium means they're going to be able to be a little bit more flexible with their kickoff times. And after all of that, it looks like uh, the technical issues are going to get the better of us. Joys of uh, Skype recordings, which is a little bit unfortunate because I would have loved to have gotten into a little bit more detail on the scheduling, but I'll try and uh, wrap things up here now. We did get some... Uh, good responses to the video and we also did get an email so i'll start off with that from uh james g uh we'll start off with uh, the comment which i think we can all agree with being a raw supporter is quite a frustrating hobby kickoff times it has little influence at the moment uh more to do with the location than time of day james says he has young children so traveling over an hour to redcliffe and back is far too difficult he's looking forward to a possible suncorp return I did also have a uh, good point on club recruitment strategy which we might have to shelve for a later day as well but yeah like that that is a big part of the reason why I can understand a lot of the uh, fans are frustrated where I I think most people would love to try and get to games but the the travel all the way to Redcliffe can be a bit of an issue now I did post the uh, Facebook video last night as well and we'll uh, run through some of the better answers we had a Charles Say 4pm on a Sunday at Redcliffe would be his preferred option. Uh, Jim M says, a lot of potential variables that affect different teams very differently. For the Raw 2 o'clock kickoffs are bad. 
Weekday matches at Redcliffe are bad, and that includes Friday. Um, yeah, living on the north side, even getting out there can be difficult on a Friday night. Best times for Raw games are 4pm Saturday and Sunday and 7pm Saturday. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Most sides are similar. And uh, he also says it doesn't have an issue with simultaneous kickoffs. If the league can do that uh, simultaneous show for the women, having split screens on Paramount, there should be no issues. The league needs to be a bit smarter with utilising the time zones to schedule games at optimal times, particularly with the early game potentially being in Wellington. All this applies equally to the women, which, again, as we said before, simplistic solution is not to be worried about men's and women's uh, conflicting, although rightfully so. Having the uh, men's and women's teams playing at different times is probably the primary uh, preference for all of this. Uh, We also got from John Lang. If we continue to push the summer game timeline, then games should be played later in the day, preferably 6 p.m., uh, and later for the men and women, the APL needs to talk and work with state, state bodies to try and schedule more games around local fixtures so that we might start to build local players and their families coming along to games. And that is a, the other element that uh, I'm glad John brought up because it is the other thing we are going to have to deal with over the coming weeks as well, where with the NPL, FQPL seasons kicking off, people are going to have to make the decision now. Do they go to the Raw game or do they go and support their local NPL club? We've seen the NPL uh, fixture list get modified to accommodate uh, the Women's World Cup. I think the best thing to do going forward would be for the FQ schedules to try and accommodate these raw games. Say, hey, if you're you know, a member of select NPL clubs, get out to these games as well. And yeah, it, it is a no-win situation for just about anybody because you have simultaneous kickoffs. People are going to say, well, they're not able to watch games. If you have the games all played in standalone windows, then that means you're not going to be able to uh, yeah, see the games played all along. All right. Coming up this weekend, we'll quickly run through the games we've got going on. Uh, Friday night, the A-League men are in action away to Newcastle. 6.45pm Brisbane time kickoff. Um, hopefully the Raw will be able to replicate their win uh, from the Hunter region from mid-December. And the women are at home to Wellington, AJ Kelly Park, 2 p.m. on Saturday. Hopefully we'll see all of you out there, even though it is not going to be ideal conditions for the players. Um, Scott's predictions for those two games are a pair of raw wins and Canardi to play around about half an hour. I'm going to echo his predictions. I think these are two games that the raw have to find a way to pick up maximum points for. And in the meantime, well, it's going to be a fairly abrupt ending to this episode of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back to recap it all next week. Uh, we apologise for the technical issues over the last five or so minutes, but I should also say a big thanks to everyone for participating uh, in those videos, giving us your responses. If you've got any more feedback, send it through to our social accounts. In the meantime, enjoy the football. Get out this weekend, and uh, hopefully we'll see you at the games. And we'll be back to recap it all next week.